open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. As rare as a blue diamond is a Sky Thoroughbred Central viewer who hasn't heard a Gary Cleesey Mounting Yard mail segment. The former three-time Premiership winning jockey has been a fixture on the Sky Channel service for 23 years. Gary drives more than 100,000 kilometres a year from his Ballina base to 15 racetracks in northern New South Wales. He has an undying passion for racing, a keen eye for the fitness levels of horses that he sees on a regular basis, and he has a great understanding of the racing characteristics of those horses. Gary Cleesey was apprenticed to the late Bruce McLaughlin, who got a mare called Bimbo ready to give his apprentice a win at his first race ride. But when heavy rain on the Gold Coast saw the program transferred to the inside sand track, the trainer decided to scratch Bimba. Gary had another ride for his master on the day and he got an unexpected thrill when dancing years flew through the wet sand to win by an amazing margin of 17 and three-quarter lengths. Following a successful apprenticeship, Gary decided to move to northern New South Wales at a time when Brisbane racing boasted a glut of outstanding jockeys. He settled in Ballina and he went on to win three NRRA premierships and finished second in several others. It hasn't been all plain sailing. There have been family tragedies along the way and multiple injuries from race accidents. Two of those accidents put him out for long periods of time. The other terminated his much-loved riding career in 1996. It was former trainer Dr Jeff Chapman who encouraged Gary to contact Graham McNeese at Sky Channel regarding a possible involvement in telecasts from northern tracks. And Gary has always said that was the most important phone call of his life. I'm going to let the man himself tell the story. Gary Cleesey, thanks for your time. Good on you, John. Yeah, good to catch up with you. Yeah, I've had um, I've had the ups and downs, but I must say, John, I, 
had a very successful riding career and particularly enjoy what I'm doing now with Sky. Your hometown of Ballina has felt the full fury of the recent flooding. You know many who've lost their homes and for a time there you feared a similar fate. You've been there for 40 years, Gary, maybe a little bit more. Is this the worst you've seen? Never never seen it this bad, John. Uh, Ballina has been hit really bad, particularly the west side of Ballina and down the main street. But like Lismore, he's completely gone um, in an awful mess. Little places like Korokai, Woodburn and Broadwater, which uh, link on to Ballina. But this is the worst I've ever seen it in the 40-odd years I've lived here in Ballina. It's, uh, it's tragic, but people are strong and they will bounce back. What's the situation as we speak on Sunday, March the 6th? Uh, John, an um, awful lot of cleaning up to do in Lismore. My two boys, uh, um, uh, 30 and 32, they've been doing a lot of help with rescue. Actually, they took hay over to horses uh, yesterday that were stranded in South Ballina. But everyone's just dibbing in, trying to help. Uh, they're going to get the army in there, but they've just got a, a mountain and mountain of work to do in the next uh, in the next month or so. Took you a while to pluck up the courage to ring Graham McNeese all those years ago, didn't it? It did, yeah. I, I, I wanted to. My riding career was finished, John, and I, and I wanted to uh, keep involved in the racing industry. But I, I would have loved to get into the media side of it, particularly here on the Northern Rivers. Mm. And um, it took a bit of courage. But I'll, I'll say one thing: I never left Graham alone. I just kept uh, giving <laughs> him a buzz, buzz. Yeah. And uh, he put his hands up one day, and strangely enough, I did Ballina uh, the first day that I ever worked, uh, mm-hmm. and and that was in the time of Sky Two um, um, KY. Yeah. And two days later, I was posted out to Gunnedah. I didn't know what hit me, and it was about nine hour drive, but I couldn't <laughs> say no because this is what I wanted to do, and uh, I wouldn't be in this position today only for uh, Graham McNeese. Uh, he's, he's an outstanding man. And not only that, John, over a number of years, he worked with me, hosting, teaching me, and, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he's just a champion. I couldn't agree more. As I mentioned, Gary, you cover 15 tracks in the northern region. Uh, you get to work, you travel huge mileage to get there, but there's also a small matter of form study. You're doing form every day of the week. Yeah, well, our form leads up to the, the prior day. Like, if we've got two days running, Monday, Tuesday, so uh, Saturday and uh, Sunday are taken up with form, completely taken up with form. That's what I'm doing right now uh, for two days straight, which is Monday and Tuesday for Grafton and Taree. So this it's just not get in a motor car and start the motor car and turn up at races. Your, your prep work has to be done. Mm. And, and I do a replay on every runner and comment on every runner in my form. So I'm quite aware where they've been, how they've run, whether it's good tracks, bad tracks, heavy tracks, distances, and all that takes into account and barriers. So there's a, there's a lot of research that goes into it, as I'm sure all the other form analysts do the same thing. It's yeah. just not get in a car and drive and turn up the races and think you know what you're doing. Is Tari your most distant meeting? Uh, now Maury. Maury, uh, Maury's yeah. about six hours twenty, John. I took that on some years ago. Wayne Harris was doing it, but he he wasn't well, 
and they approached me to take on more re, so I've been there. So that is my furthest. I only do more re probably five, six times a year, but it is a long trip yeah. away from that Taree. Uh, Tung Curry's further than uh, Taree, so... Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's as far as I go down south, uh, Curry. Yeah. I was surprised to hear that you very rarely stay the night after these faraway meetings. So do you mean to tell me you drive five hours, say, from Ballina to Taree, you complete your commitments, jump back in the car and go home? Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I've been doing that for a long time. I know my limitations as a, as a driver and I know when I've had enough and I do pull over and have a cup of coffee, walk out and, and have a rest. But, yeah, I, I do that all the time at Taree. I, I very rarely, well, I don't stay, uh, only unless, John, I've got a backup meeting, say, at Armadale the next day. I'll get me back to self to Port Macquarie where I know I've got a mountain to get over in the morning and get myself to Armadale. But that's the only time that I do stay away. Mm. In the 23 years you've been working for Sky, you tell me you've worn out five company cars. I'm on my fifth car right now. I'd only arrived uh, a week ago, John. It's um, I've only been two trips in it. I've done Grafton and Tari, so it's done 1,300 uh, kilometres already and got off the truck and it had five kilometres on it. So I'm on my fifth car now. Mm. Yeah, they, they, but I will say they're always uh, well and truly maintain their service every 10,000 and... Uh, yeah, it's a fair bit of driving. Um, to get out of the Holden, now I'm in a Toyota. Uh, poor old Holden doesn't know what hit itself. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, there'd be very few trainers and jockeys in the north you haven't met, and most of them would be tickled pink to do an interview with you on Sky Thoroughbred Central or Sky Sports Radio, and I imagine knockbacks are few and far between. Yeah, they are, John, and particularly now so much, uh, trainers and even jockeys. I mean, in my day of riding, we didn't get the publicity these guys get, trainers, the lady trainers, the men trainers, and the female jockeys and, and the jockeys uh, that they get now on, on Sky. And uh, we've got a good appall with them, Pris- Priscilla and uh, and Melinda Turner. Uh, we've got a great appall with them, and we hope they can keep going. And one thing I've always learned, John, look, I made more mistakes than anyone when I was a jockey. Um, um, they all do. And, and I would never knock a jock's ride. I might just say, look, Things never went quite right. Yeah. And in a yard, I've always learnt, and Priscilla's been taught that way, mm. there's always a, to get away when you look at a horse and say, look, there's that little bit of improvement. He just doesn't look quite 100% at the moment, but I think mm. the run will bring him along. Mm. Um, I'm one never to, to bag a jock or bag a horse in a mounting yard. That's just not, not me. Mm. You mentioned Priscilla. We're talking about Priscilla Looker, wife of top country jockey Ben Looker, uh, but she was formerly Priscilla Schmidt and a very good rider in her own right before being forced out of the saddle by injury, and she was none too happy about that at the time. Yeah, she came to me um, sometime. She she tried to make a comeback. She had a bad... The last one was a badly broken arm. She'd broke both ankles and they'd been plated and screwed up. And then she had a badly broken arm in a race fall at Tauri. And she came to me sometime after and said, look, I'm just suffering with the pain. I can't do this anymore. Do you think you could help me? I'd love to get into the media side of it. So I went through the channels and uh, the first day that Priscilla worked with me was at a Kempsey race meeting mm. on Sky, and uh, she's just gone from leaps and bounds. Uh, knows her form. One thing I must say about Priscilla, um, she is very dedicated. 
and she comes to work and you know she's done her homework because you can ask her about any horse mm. and she can give you a comment on it. And I see the form there, so um, she does her work absolutely outstanding. Mm. Priscilla took some maternity leave last year and during her absence you were assisted by Melinda Graham. You mentioned her name earlier. Melinda is a daughter of the very popular Port Macquarie trainer Jenny Graham and, like Priscilla, a former good jockey in her own right. Yeah, she uh, gave away riding. She she um, had a little baby and and wanted to get into like like Priscilla. So um, it uh, took about five months to train her up. I spent a long, long time with Melinda. Not that there was a lot of work to do, but uh, the first day that she was going to work, I was hop on TV and uh, straight into the form and then do the mounting yards and interview trainers and jockeys uh, right the way through. So she was well and truly trained up. And she's no different to what Priscilla is. She's very efficient of what she does. Um, she, she's there early, uh, all the forms done, and she's really taken the bull by the horn. So um, she's and, and uh, Melinda's only been with me. Um, well, the first day she worked was on the Wednesday. Uh, after the Melbourne Cup in November, so that was the yeah. feature meeting on on Sky, and uh, she just went in and marched and and never looked back from there. Chantel Buckley got some valuable groundwork with you in the early stages of her career, and so did Brad Davidson, who is now firmly ensconced on the Sky team. Yeah, yeah, Chantel spent some time with me on the Northern Rivers, and uh, she learnt uh, little different parts. Brad Davison was uh, working in Queensland at the time. They sent him down. He did meetings at Lismore, Grafton, Coffs Harbour, and uh, Moorlambar uh, with me. I think he may have even done a Bellman meeting with me just to learn the, the side of it, how it all works and that. So uh, they've been through there. They probably didn't do as much uh, with Chantel and Brad Davison as what I've done with uh, Priscilla and, uh, and Melinda Turner. Yep. At the risk of embarrassing you, Mr Cleesey, I'd like to devote a little time to establishing the fact that you were a pretty good jockey. You were apprenticed to Bruce McLaughlin, a man who won 16 Brisbane Metropolitan Premierships. What are your memories of Bruce the boss? Very tough boss. I left home when I was uh, I applied to leave school, or well, mum and dad applied for me to leave school. It was just after 14 years of age, and the education department didn't give me permission. 14, six months, they gave me permission. Mm. Uh, there was another letter went in, um, and particularly that Bruce had picked me up. I rode in an invitation race as a 13-and-a-half-year-old at the Redcliffe Trots. Mum and Dad had uh, an Appaloosa stay and they had a Cordor stay and then a thoroughbred stay and, mm. and they had an invitation race there and uh, Graham Cook, uh, Mel Shoemaker, some of the top jockeys rode in that invitation race and I rode against them. But mm. they were riding draft horses, John, mm. and I was riding riding an Appaloosa that could get along. So uh, yeah. I, I beat them pretty easy and Andy Galletley had... Uh, spotted me. He was the foreman for Bruce McLaughlin ah. and um, Big Bill Edwards, which was the chief um, chief judge at the Brisbane Royal, yeah. had heard about me also, and because I had rode at the Brisbane Royal show jumping, mm. and uh, they've uh, tracked me down, and that's how it all started, and that's how I ended up going to Bruce. So I actually left home at fourteen years and six months to. Uh, to go in there, work in the stables, learn the trade, 
64, my papers could be transferred over at 15 years of age as an apprentice. Bruce tried very hard to put you on a winner at your first race ride, but rain spoiled his plans. It was a mare called Bimba at the Gold Coast. They transferred the meeting to the inside sand track, which had been there since about 1946. Uh, they had to scratch Bimba, or Bruce made that decision, and you must have been absolutely devastated. Oh, well, she couldn't have said that better, John. I mean, I, look, I'd done all the work on her. She was by Allo out of Bay Bikini. She came to the stables. Mr and Mrs Council owned it that owned Allo. And Allo's were renowned for for uh, being a little bit nasty, like it dropped their heads. And she mm. came to us, and she had very little hair on her, very little hair on her. Mm. Uh, we broke her in. Uh, I rode her from day dot. She pelted me many a times. Um, <laughs> actually, I rode her in her first jump out in a stock saddle. Mm. Um, she could really buck, John, but yeah. I got on with her and we educated her and she was just well above maiden company. No matter where we took her, she would win and Bruce wanted yeah. to take her to the Gold Coast to give me my first ride on. He probably wouldn't put anyone else on her at a first start. No. Uh, it, it didn't know her, but when it poured rain, he scratched her. Dancing years was in. Now, had dancing years gone around on a grass circuit, yeah. there was no way she could win. Yeah. But when he left her in and they transferred the meeting to the sand circuit, she was just too good for him. She'd won at Albion Park and everywhere around there, and yeah. and she bolted him. So she was your first winner, dancing years on the sand on the Gold Coast. And the margin intrigues me. Gary, 17 and three-quarter lengths. That, that was a very precise judge. Yeah, I've got the uh, photo stare, uh, sitting up uh, looking at it right now. Yeah, that's your dead right. That was my first ride ever in a race. <laughs> um, Bruce walked out and he said, just let her roll along in front, get to the half mile, quicken from the half mile, mm. turn the corner, don't look around, just keep it going and she'll win. And mm. she bolted in. He, she he gave kidding. nothing to look in that day. <laughs> now a low point. 18 months into your apprenticeship, you rode a horse called Better Time for a trainer who happened to be a leading vet. His name was Henry Henji. He told you the horse was returning after having had a seriously bowed tendon. You jumped out of the gates and his action is all over the place. You felt there was something wrong with him. You didn't bustle him, you let him get back a bit and he never got into the race. The stewards hauled you straight into, into the room. Yeah, it was that was the lowest part of. Uh, I was welcome to be an apprentice jockey, um, John. I wasn't supposed to ride him. I turned up I, I, home from track work. I had uh, seven rides. The only race I never had a riding was the welter, and he was in a welter. Mm. And uh, Brad uh, Bradley Pratt became ill, and Henry Henge came in. He said he used to call me Mackie. Said Mackie, can you ride old better time? Mm. And you're right with him. He was resuming twelve months. He'd had a bow tendon. He's only win as at a 1200 meters was as a two-year-old we're talking a rising seven-year-old so he was in a 1200 meter welter where he'd only won as a two-year-old he was big as a house and i came out on him and uh look he knocked up i didn't do a lot on him down the running but he'd had enough and uh, i was hauled in and they uh injured an inquiry into the running and handling mm. and you were staggered when they gave you 12 months thankfully yeah, they later reduced got- to six yeah, I got 12 months. So on appeal, I got it reduced to six months disqualification, six months suspension. So 
I went home. Uh, Mum and Dad had a horse stud, so I worked on the horse stud. And when I finished the the, the horses early in the morning at eight o'clock, I'd get in the car and drive and work at a sawmill. And I'd done that till five o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. and come home and worked at night on the on the stud and do the same thing the next day. Yeah, you're a worker, son, aren't you? Didn't mind it. Mum and Dad were hard workers, and um, I had to earn a quid. And um, I gave mum and dad a good hand on the stud. But like I said, I went to a sawmill and Johnny, I'd become a ring barker for the uh, first couple of months. And then I got promoted to the blitz. So I'd bring the big logs up and put them up on the platform for the guys to cut them up. So, um, yeah, I learned a little bit about the sawmilling business while I was there. There were two Eagle Farm trainers to pledge their support when you got back in action. And they were Fred Best, the legendary Fred Best, and Brian Wakefield. Now, the QTC saw fit to take a month off your suspension, but they didn't discuss the case until the Friday afternoon. Now, Brian Wakefield left a ride open for you the following day just in case. That was back in the days when you didn't have to declare a jockey days before. Yeah, you couldn't have said that better. Yeah, look, John, I, I, I didn't want to come back and do the last six months of riding work. I, I, I was I was more or less, um, I, I couldn't understand what was going on and why I was given time for, for something that I knew I didn't do. But I was approached about nine months into it um, of a gentleman that if I came back and rode work, they would promise me that they would knock a month off for me. Yeah. So I came back and I started riding work for Bruce, my boss, and spread me wings around to Fred Betts, which was always tremendous to me, and yeah. Brian Wakefield. And I was riding horse called Arrow King, Johnny. He couldn't win a maiden. He just kept running seconds and thirds, uh, riding work every morning. And Brian said, look, I'll keep him, and let's hope on Friday you have got your licence back and you can ride him at Eagle Farm in the first on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, I got my licence back and I rode him at Eagle Farm on the Saturday. Now, and he won? He won, Johnny. I yeah. had two rides that day. I rode the first, I won the first on Arrow King. Mum and Dad picked me up at Eagle Farm. They were there to watch me ride, took me straight to the Gold Coast and I rode a winner down there. Don't know the horse's name, but I had my first day back uh, riding one at Eagle Farm, one at the Gold Coast. Yeah, you can't remember the name of the horse or the yeah. trainer. No, but... the trainer, Johnny. You know, it just slipped me. Arrow King was always in my mind because I'd rode him yeah. so much work for Brian. And he was back. He'd get back a long way. Big field, 16 runners, and worked me way through the field. And he got up to win for me. So that got me back into it again. You've always said Henry Davis was one of the smartest trainers you ever knew. He put you on a horse called the Irishman one day in a 1,400-metre maiden at Eagle Farm. You were worried about barrier 18. He said, don't worry about the draw. Just go out there and win. You did just that, and you've never forgotten about Henry's amazing judgment. Oh, he was, he, I, you know, you used to watch him at Eagle Farm. He had all his staff that walk horses well before they got work. They'd come in saddled up. You'd work them. They'd go back out for a walk before they cooled down and got hosed down and that. He was a marvellous trainer, and he could set horses. And I remember that horse. He just, he said to me, don't look. Don't worry about the gate. He'll win. He'd done work. And matter of fact, Johnny, I'd never been on his back half the things that you road work there for Henry. You didn't know what you were getting on. He wouldn't tell you names or anything like that. But uh, 
But look, he, he, he was an outstanding fan, as Bruce McLaughlin. I mean, they were two different types of trainers, but uh, Bruce was a, a champion in his own right. But to me, I would have to definitely say Henry Davis would have been uh, the best trainer that I rode for. Yeah, is any truth in the rumour Henry would wear a gag to bed just in <laughs> case he talked in his sleep? Well, when he got upset, sometimes you couldn't really understand him. But, you know, you, you, you dare not to get legged up on one and say, excuse me, Henry, what's this? Because you wouldn't get told. So no, no. you just go out there. He, he he didn't need to know how they worked. He watched every horse work out in the middle uh, yeah. here. And, and, you know, Johnny Size was there. He was his main foreman at the time. And you know where Johnny's gone in yeah. Hong Kong? He would have learnt so much off Henry. Yeah. 1981 was a big year for young Gary Cleesey. You married Jenny Powell. Now you're wife of 41 years and you made a joint decision, you and Jenny, to move to New South Wales to pursue your riding career, principally because Brisbane at that time was bursting with top jockeys. Who were they? Oh, they were Graham Cook and you've got uh, Mick Dipman. You had, uh, I idolised Dougie Messingham, had a lot to do with Dougie. And another rider that I rode a lot with and a brilliant horseman and had a brilliant hands was Les Harris. He rode many and many good horses. Yeah. Little Kerry Swift and a lot of work with him. But uh, Mick Dipman just, he, he was the king there at the time and, uh, mm. and uh, took a lot of advice, wrote a lot of work, always talked to him all the time. But yeah, look, John, if I'd have stayed in Brisbane, I'd ate the paint off the walls. There was no sense of me staying there. Yeah. A couple of young blokes were coming through the ranks too. Shane Scriven was one and Gavin Duffy was the other. Yeah, weren't they good? Two good riders. Yeah, played a lot of squash with Gavin Duffy, sweating. Mm. Um, we'd go to the squash courts and have a game of squash and to have mm. a sweat and that. But uh, two different types of riders. Gavin Duffy had ride one off shorter than Lester Pickett mm. and he could really lift one. Shane, <laughs> Scriven was, <laughs> Shane Scriven was just a great jockey. He'd have been a great jockey had he been lighter, but uh, weight got mm. to him in the long run. Ballina was your chosen location and you've never regretted that decision. You and Jenny raised two boys, Luke and Brad, who were too big to be jockeys, but both of them have since proven uh, that they've got an affinity with horses. Brad is a breaker, and Luke, you tell me, is a top exponent of the camp drafting sport. Yeah, they both went right through their pony clubs, um, right through camp drafting. They went right through. They were champion riders here on the Northern Rivers. They represented, or well, Lukey did, he represented New South Wales in the state titles at uh, at Scone. So uh, they did everything right up. They're, they're no longer involved in the horses. Young Lukey's a plumber. He's got his own business. He's going good. Mm. And Bradley was... Uh, Twice deputy chief steward, once on the Hunter Northwest, once on the Northern Rivers, yeah. and now he's a school teacher at St Francis Xavier, teaching the the little ones. So mm. very proud of both boys. They've gone on. They've got good jobs and they're hard workers. When you got to Ballina, you started to ride work for trainers like Kevin Nippers and Bill Foley, and you quickly got a foothold in the region. Everything was going along swimmingly. Until one day you rode a horse for George Reed in a 900 metre scamper at the place that's underwater at the moment, Mwillumbar. You drew barrier one, you looked like leading, when suddenly something came hurtling over from a wide barrier and took your front legs and you landed badly. 
Yeah, I did, Johnny. Yeah, that was that was a, that was a shocking fall. It was right on a tricky corner. Uh, the outside horse had, had really just come too quick. He just cut me short, and I went down. And when I went down, um, I landed on my uh, right knee. And uh, Johnny, within seconds of that fall, my knee completely blew. Just it just blew like a balloon. I knew I was in awful trouble. Did you? Yeah. Um, I lost my kneecap. They had to remove the. Uh, I was sent to hospital and then transferred to a surgeon, which was uh, Dr. Thompson in Lismore. Um, he took a bit of deliberation. The, the kneecap was completely smashed. It couldn't be mm. put back or plated up or screwed up. Um, his only suggestion was to remove the kneecap. Yeah. So he went along with the operation and took the kneecap out. Well, it was a long, slow process but you gradually gain strength in the muscles, the tendons and the ligaments. And after a while, you found you could actually operate without that kneecap. And to this day, Gary, you've still got full flexion. It's quite amazing. Yeah, it surprised Dr. Thompson. He thought that I'd get 60 to 70% bend back in it. Normally, you don't get much more than when, that, when the kneecap is taken out. And um, Johnny, I can pick me heel up and touch me backside. I've got 100% flexible. But I must say, there was a lot of work, a lot of work to get that leg right, to get myself back riding. Mm. Well, when you got back to the races, the season was already two months in, but you came back with a bang, mate. You were riding winners everywhere. You kept the momentum going till the end of the season, and this is a 10-month season for G. Cleesey, you got up to win the NRRA Premiership. It was an extraordinary feat. It was, John, yeah. I, 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 because prior to the, the race fall, I, I was really going well and I was looking to win a Premiership and that ended it. So I was off the scene for uh, a good 12 months. But when I came back, you're dead right. I, I was 10 months of the season. But when I came back, whatever I got on, for some unknown reason, they were winning. Um, I was going really good. The last day of the season, I had 60 winners for the season mm. and John Hutchings had 60 and a half. Yeah. So it was the last day there was races at Lismore, which I was riding at. John Hutchings was riding in Grafton on the same day. Yeah. And a very good friend of mine, Norm Brooks, he's passed away, got killed uh, in an accident some years later, mm. um, came around to have a cup of coffee with me in the morning. And I said, Norm, this is the sickest I've ever been. With uh, I had a bad cold. I said, this means more to me than anything. And I think I can ride the program today. Goodness and I need need to ride the program to win, mm. all going right. So, uh, yeah, I went to the races. Wasn't feeling well, John, but I had a really good book of rides. And how did you finish up? John, well, uh, I, uh, Johnny Hutchings won the first at Grafton. Normie came in and said, John's just won the first, so I have to win the first at Lismore. I won the first at Lismore. He won the second at Grafton. I won the second at Lismore. <laughs> oh, he got beat in the third at uh, at Grafton, and my best ride was in the third race, former Victorian horse that Bill Foley had got. He was a maidener, and I didn't think he'd ever get beat. Mm. And he trotted up to him at the 200-metre mark, and I went to put him away, and he put his head in the air and didn't want a bar of it. Right. So he's ended up running second. So we're still half behind. Johnny wins the fourth at Grafton. I win the fourth at Lismore. Normie's come in and said Johnny's got beat in the last. So it's win, duel, win, win, lose or draw here in the last. I have to get this home. Yeah. And it was a tricky gate. It was 1,100 metre start from the uh, uh, at Lismore. Mm. And I drew 10 gate. It was always called Bangalore Road. 
Mm. And, John, I can't tell you, but I don't know how he got in there, but I got in, in behind the two leaders by the time I'd gone 150 metres, and I must say, yeah. without touching an ink or interfering with anything. Yeah, Gary, it's called skill. <laughs> but I've had skill. There was a lot of luck involved with that one, Johnny. And I, I put his head through at the 200-metre mark on the smallest gap you could find, and I'd thought, well, it's head down, bum up, drive this, and as soon yeah. as he found the gap, that was the end of the story. He was too good. So There's nothing wrong with your nerve at that time, eh? No, it was nothing. For you. That would give me my first premiership. That's the one I was working for, John. Yeah. You started the new season where you'd left off. Winners coming left, right and centre. And then Lady Luck turned her back again. You're galloping a horse in near darkness one morning at Ballina, unaware that another horse had got rid of its rider in the back straight, turned around and was galloping back in the opposite direction. And you say it was almost upon you before you spotted it. Yeah, John, my mum was always superstitious about green. And I was superstitious, so I followed mum through that. Mm. And you wouldn't believe it, it was St. Patrick's Day it happened. Oh, yeah. I woke up in the morning at 3.30, I had a cup of coffee, got dressed. I had races that day. I was at the track at quarter past four. I was on my first horse at half past four. It was my second horse. I was mm. going out. I said to the guy at the gap, is there any out there? He said, there's two out there, but they won't be long till they're finished. Um, I was just going to trot and to the bottom of the straight drop over his neck and just do a little bit of steady pace work and just go half a mile, three quarter and run home the last two. Yeah. And uh, it was still very, it was still dark. I couldn't see anything. And John, unknowns to me, one had dropped a rider down the back and turned around and come the opposite way, four bore, and I was going four bore and got me straight in the right leg. Oh, dearie me. And the leg that was already missing a kneecap. Yeah, yeah. I broke uh, fibia tibia in a number of places and broke ankle. And, John, I must say, I, even as a young boy growing up um, on horses, road horses from a young age, I never got off one, didn't matter how what sort of trouble I was in. Yeah. But I had to get off this horse. He was going quick. I had a leg that was completely gone. Yeah. And I pulled him to the slowest I could possibly get him to, yeah. and I had to get off him. Bailed out. I had to. I yeah. had to. I had a leg that was in a hell of a mess, mm. and I just had to get off him. Yeah. Oh, dearie me. You had one piece of good luck in the aftermath of that accident, and that was to meet Dr. Neil Thompson, an eminent orthopaedic surgeon who was semi-retired by then and was spending a lot of time on the Northern Rivers. Thank goodness you ran into him. Yeah, well, he decided that, look, the natural way to do it, you could plate, you could screw, but it was going to be a long progress. Um, and I'd lost a lot of wastage because I had a kneecap taken out and tendons had to be cut. Mm. Uh, he decided that we'd do it natural, um, put, try to get the brakes into place as good as what we can. Yeah. So there were three surgeries to get them into line. And then it was just sit back, wait, um, eat the right stuff drink the right stuff, try to get the body to heal a lot better and uh, to get me back actually riding. Yep. Well, you were out for another year and there's a really good story about your comeback. You'd sneak out to Woodburn where George Parker had ponies and show horses and he had the perfect horse for you to ride regularly in an attempt to slowly build that strength again in, in the affected leg. 
You went out there for many weeks and your mount was an unraced thoroughbred who was a whiz in the show ring but had never been tried on the track and there was something about him you liked. There was, John, yeah. I rang George up. Uh, I knew he always had a good horse and uh, Gary Robson was with him at the time and I rang him up and said, man, I want a real quiet horse, something that I can poke around that no one knows what I'm doing. I need yeah. to see if this leg can work right. Yeah. Got the right little horse for you. You turn up. So I drive from Ballina to Woodburn, get there at 6 o'clock. Yeah. First morning, he saddles up this little roly-poly fellow. He was pretty. He had a long mane tail, decked out to every egg. He had about five rugs on him and, and hoods on him. And I said, what is he? He said, oh, look, he's a thoroughbred, but we show him. Yeah. He's won a number of lead-ins. He's won a number of hat classes. But he's quiet, he'll arch the head, and he'll do everything you want him to do. Yeah. So Clarenzo and I set off. And I'd rate him, first day I ever got back on another horse was him. Yeah. And I rode him one hour longer than John Wayne, John. <laughs> <laughs> and I trotted yeah. him around and we got the feel of each other. And as weeks yeah. went by, the stronger I got, the shorter I got, and yeah. the better he got at it. Mm. Yeah. And then we, we um, um, I did that for six weeks with him, uh, John, and... Then one day I just said to Gary Robson and, and uh, George Parker, I said, Have you give it, would you ever consider giving this horse a go? He might, he might gallop this horse. And yeah. They ummed and ahed because the girls were showing him they really didn't want him raced, they didn't want him stirred up. Yeah. And there was a discussion about it and they decided one morning to bring him to the track and I started working him and, uh, and teaching him and jumping him out to, to get him to win a race. Yeah. Well, it was a couple of months later when he did just that which was a tremendous uh, testimony to your judgment. He won a Ballina Maiden, but that wasn't the only winner you rode on the day. This happened to be one of your best ever days. It was, John, yeah. We, we, I played around with him. I tried to give him the one trial for, for George and Gary, and uh, I tucked him away, run 30. He had a pretty quiet time in the trial, and he did everything right. And I said, look, look this horse will win a Maiden. Yeah. He's no well-beater, but we'll find the right Maiden to, to win with. So it came, and it was on a tab day, uh, John. Um, yeah. no, uh, might have been a non-tab Saturday. We had six races anyway. Yeah. Found the right maiden. He drew the right gate. But to start the day off, I had six cracking rides, really, really good rides. Yeah. Um, I knew every every one of them bar uh, race three, which is a two-year-old. Yeah. Uh, we came from uh, cops over from the Barry Baldwin yard, but they told me it went really good. So, yeah. um, but unfortunately, it was scratched on the morning, so I was left with the five rides and yeah. uh, and uh, got the five winners home, Jim. Yeah, they they all won. I told you at the risk of embarrassing you, I was going to establish the fact that you were a pretty good jockey. Oh, I had a bit of luck on my side. Um, things just, <laughs> yeah, no, I had luck on my side and, and things just worked right. But that was one day. And, I, and you know, it, it gave me more enjoyment to win on Clarenzo that day than anything. Yeah. Honestly, uh, when he stepped out, I'd, I'd rode the first two winners. I didn't have a ride in the third. Yeah. And his race comes up and he just does everything right from the good gate. And I tuck him away and I come out yeah. after him. And he was a bit sooky. He'd been looked after, Motty Coddled, from a, from a young fellow, yeah. from a young horse because he was a show horse. And I give him a slot. Uh, John, he didn't know what it hit him. He didn't know whether to go, stop, or turn around, or go wherever. But yeah. he put his little head down and he got the money. And that was the only race he won. But th that gave me the greatest satisfaction to know what what he got me back into the saddle. Yeah. 
and there was no intentions of him ever being a uh, racing and yeah. to get him to win a race. Oh, and, that was uh, great story. Yeah, great yeah, story. Never, for, never forgot him and never will forget him. Gary, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll come back with you after this. Racing New South Wales and the Australian Turf Club will present a race day to remember on March the 19th. Only one of the ten races will lack stakes classification, and that's the midway. There are five group ones. The $5 million Longines Golden Slipper, which is looking fairly open at this stage. The $1 million Agency George Ryder, traditionally a Doncaster lead-up. The $700,000 Randvet is shaping up as a Queen Elizabeth Stakes rehearsal. The best sprinters will contest the $700,000 Galaxy and the $600,000 Sky Racing Rosehill Guineas will be a great derby prelude. Add to that the Group 3 Queen's Cup for the Stayers, the Group 3 Birthday Card Stakes for Phillies and Mares and the Group 3 Bisley Workwear Epona Stakes also for the Phillies and Mares. This will be a race day for the ages. The gathering of thoroughbred stars at Rosehill Gardens on Saturday, March 19th, Longines Golden Slipper Day. During your fruitful years on the Northern Rivers, you rode for a number of very talented horse trainers but you've told me more than once that you had two favourites. Bill Foley was one and Ron Gosling was the other. Yeah, well, I spent a long time with Bill Foley. I, I must say John threw me uh, about, you know, 10 years, maybe 11 years of stable rider. There was a couple of little fallouts, which, you know, you, you get that when you, you completely... Nothing can go right for the 10 years, but... Yeah. Um, you know, it might have only fell out for a month and a half and then we'll back into it again. And had a lot of respect for uh, Bob Gosling. He knew his horses, wrote a lot for him when he brought him over here. Yeah, Ron Gosling. Ron Gosling, Ron, yeah, just, yeah. A, just a real good trainer, real good trainer. And he was from Grafton. He was from Grafton, yeah. Always had a handy horse and good horse. But Bill Foley, like I said, he was there. We did a lot of work. He was um, he was a great horseman. Uh, we broke in a lot, mostly broke in all our own. Uh, Bill rode work himself uh, right up until some years that he'd had enough. But um, we'd uh, just a great horse. And not only that, John, uh, being stable rider for him, I, I saw how he, he, he used to feed. He had a, a grain silo. He had a corn silo. He had a chaff cutter. Mm. So he was a big feeder and a big worker if horses needed work. Yeah. Um, but just a very, very good trainer. You had some very hot opposition on the Northern Circuit in those years, as far as jockeys were concerned, and there were three for whom you had great respect, and you still do, looking back. Yeah, well, had Grafton and rode my circuit, and I rode at Grafton too with him, Johnny Hutchings. You don't get any better rider than John. Mm. He was a technician, and wherever you got on his back, he'd take you the right right way. Uh, Graham Burney, champion rider Graham Burney, Different yeah. rider, a lot, lot more go-forward rider, wasn't frightened to take off one eight and from home and yet to be on your mark yeah. to, 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 to when he made his move, don't let him get going and follow him up. And Peter Stanley, the entirely different rider, the lot quieter rider, come back, very rarely let on one, sneak up, wouldn't know he was there and half give you a scream and he was inside you. So, yeah. But um, Johnny Hutchings, Graham Bernie, Peter Stanley, definitely the best riders that I, I rode with here on the Northern Rivers. And you were a great fan 
of the remarkable horseman Leon Fox, long retired now. Oh, yes, I used to idolise him when he'd come over to Grafton. He'd sit in the in the jockey's room. He'd have the biggest cigar that you've ever seen. <laughs> you wouldn't think the bloke could be a jockey. He was big, but yeah. boy, he could ride a horse. Boy, yes. he might have only had two rides a meeting and very rarely go home to Inverell without winning on the two of them. He was just a, mm. he was a freakish rider, and he'd have made his mark anywhere in Australia had he been a lightweight. Gaz, I want to take you back to the early days when you were riding in Brisbane and acknowledge a handful of very nice horses you got to ride. Now, one of them was Pacific Prince, trained by Roy Dawson. He won 12 races all up. I think you rode him in his last couple of wins. You rated him very, very highly. Yeah, I watched him as a two-year-old go right through his fast horse, John, really fast. And uh, yeah, I was the last jockey to win on him. I, I, actually, I won a 13.50 on him. He'd never won a 13.50 before. About 12.50 pulled him up, but I won a Del Rolo flying on him at, uh, at Durban. But mm. oh, he was a good horse. He was smart and fast, and he ended up being a stallion, but I don't think he was true successful at, uh, at stud. No, and Caro was another good one you happened to ride. He won 17 all up. You yeah. rode him in his very last win. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, smart horse, fast horse, lovely horse, beautiful, big, strong, trained by Alan McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, very, 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 very good horse, fast horse. And like you said, he won a heap of races, but um, in them days, uh, I wouldn't know what sort of money he would have earned now uh, yeah. for the wins that he's, he, he put in. And... Gary, what about our Cavalier? You got to ride him a few times. He was trained by Pat Duff. Yeah, I rode our Cavalier, Grey Affair, went on that. And I, I rode Bazza. I won a QFO Cup on Bazza for Lloyd Hickmont yeah. um, in, uh, at Durban. So, uh, yeah, I rode some of the stairs. Probably one of the, the fastest fillies that I ever, or mares that I ever rode, was Princess Riken. She was McLaughlin at her. She was a machine. But, Johnny, I got beat on her in a nylon, and she probably shouldn't have got beat. Really? Made a mistake, did you? It made one yeah, of your rare two. mistakes. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I was, they made sure that they let me know too when I got home. Did they? <laughs> <laughs> That's good for you. That's it. Doesn't hurt anyone, John. Now, you won a couple on Romanino for Tony Mazzaglia. You could have ridden him in a gold market, which would have been a nice race to win, but you declined for some reason. Yeah, I did. I won two straight on him at Eagle Farm. He had a bad tendency to want to lay in, and I could use the stick. Well, first I couldn't get on him because I didn't think I could use the stick in the right hand because I was riding in the left hand all the time, but I was a natural right-hander. So McLaughlin went and saw Tony, and I got on him, and I won two on him. And then they wanted me to ride him in the uh, in the um, uh, the gold market at the Gold Coast. But, John, I think he had 47 and a half, 48 and a half. And to tell you the truth, I was probably a little bit lazy. I should have knuckled down a little bit harder and knocked the weight off. And mm. Gary Palmer got on him and won on him, and I never got back on him. So, yeah, I probably should have tried a little bit harder that day. I mentioned in the introduction, Gary, that it hasn't been all beer and skittles. You've had a couple of dreadful family tragedies. I think it was in 1992 when you lost a sister, Lorraine, at just 54. And six months later, your younger brother, Raymond, took his own life. It's hard to reconcile a double tragedy like that. 
yeah, couldn't believe it. Lorraine wasn't a well girl, particularly as she got older. She ended up, well, they thought she had Ross River fever and they detected that she had MS and she she just wasn't a, a well girl and she boxed on. But mm. one afternoon she was putting something in the oven and um, had a massive stroke and that night we turned the life support off and uh, she oh, passed yeah. away. Dear me. And Raymond was a jockey too, wasn't he? Yeah, well, three three boys in the family. I'm the oldest. Raymond was the second oldest, and Graham's the youngest, which is still riding successful mm. in uh, North Queensland. But uh, I would say, judgment-wise, Raymond was the better rider of the three of us. Really? Yeah, he yeah. was. He was very, very good. He went on real good horses and rode a lot of winners. He had a bad fall at Eagle Farm. He lost the spleen. Um, and he was knocked around pretty bad. Um, he gave away, well, he had to give away race riding, went and learnt um, the bar course at TAFE, ended up uh, working for uh, Lion Nathan, was 4X rep of the year three, three times, went to Calvary, represented yeah. uh, 4X, and then became uh, manager of Johnny Sattler's pub at um, Bribey Island. Mm. And then managed the uh, the bowls club at his last job that he had at the uh, Bribe Islands Bowling Club. But uh, he got himself into another trade and worked very hard at that trade. Mm. And brother Graham, as you say, is is in North Queensland, still riding, not long over a badly broken leg, but it hasn't stopped him. No, it hasn't. I didn't think he'd come back, John. He was off for two years. Actually, he fell at Cairns. He said that everything was sweet, rolled, went to get up. The horse had broke its legs, thrashed around and hit him right in his, uh, with its good leg, uh, smashed his leg to pieces. So yeah. he spent two years on the sideline, but he's back and he's riding winners. And yeah, I didn't think he'd ever get back, but he's uh, he's going really good up there. You've got another sister, Narelle, living at beautiful Maroochydore. Yeah, Narelle's up there. Her husband's, well, he was the uh, sergeant of police up there. He's now uh, retired. So they're living a, living a good life and uh, always been good workers and uh, great. Probably don't catch up with her as much as what I should do, John, but times, times are busy and she's busy. She's got a uh, family and young kids now that uh, her, her children have had. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to get up and see him one day and spend a good time. It was another freakish race fall in 1996 that brought your retirement from the saddle. It was a non-tab on a Saturday at Coffs Harbour. You thought you could win the first race on a Ballina horse called Commentator and Brett Bellamy asked you to ride a maiden called Luke Away in the second race on the program. And you couldn't help yourself. You said, of course I will, Brett. I'm happy to help out. It wasn't your day, mate. Commentator got beaten. He ran third. And I'll let you tell the story of Luke Away, who was in the box seat coming to the home turn in a maiden. Yeah, John, look, that, that, it was Coffs Harbour. I'd done the Wednesday, Thursday for the carnival, and I wasn't going to Coffs Harbour on the Saturday. Actually, I was going to the Gold Coast to ride commentator in an 800-metre maiden, which I thought he was unbeatable. Bill mm. Foley had got him and just purchased him. We'd put a lot of work into him. Mm. but uh, And I had to come home on the Thursday night because I had to just let him run up a couple of hundred metres. Mm. And Bill said... Um, Look, he's drawn off the track at the Gold Coast. There's an 800-metre maiden at uh, Coffs Arbor. Uh, he can't win at the coast from the gate. He'll win at Coffs Arbor. We'll take him there. And I, see through another two rides. Yeah. He, uh, another two horses in John. And I end up picking up one for Sue Burney, horse called Tioga, which I'd won on. Yeah. 
And um, look, commentator was in the first. It was just a matter of hit the ground. He leads, he wins. Yeah. And John, he came out of the gates, running, travel, mate, 200 metres from home. I hadn't even moved on him. And I've heard something come at me and I have to give him a squeeze. Yeah. And Johnny, there was nothing in the tank. He, he, yeah, he ended up running second, but he was, he was very, very disappointing. Yeah, dreadful feeling. But what about Brett Bellamy's horse, Luke Away? Surprisingly, travelling like a six to four chance coming to the turn. Yeah, he was having his first start. Brett said, "Look, he hadn't showed him a lot, and he, he, he was quiet. He wanted to hump up a little bit when I first got on him, but I worked him round at the gates, and mm. he was fine. And he hit the ground. He, he got back running third, fourth, fifth." By the time I got in the corner, John, I thought this is a chance. He loomed up in behind the three leaders and he started mm. to pick the bit up and work out where he was. Yeah. And I just went to come off their backs and um, he broke his leg and he pole drive me head first. And unfortunately, right. there was one behind me and it landed right on top of me too. So there, there was the damage. And John, it was, I had many a falls over me time, but this one I knew something was seriously wrong. Yeah, well, you lost feeling from the neck down, didn't you, straight away? Yeah, I was having troubles, having burning troubles, really, really bad. And um, when the ambulance got to me, they uh, put me in a stiff collar and, and prepared me and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, they flew you to the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane. You spent the first nine days in skull traction. Yeah, that was the hardest days I've ever been in my life. I hadn't been so through much, so much pain. And actually, there was a young girl nursing me, uh, girl Wagner. I wrote a lot for her dad. Her dad was a doctor here mm. on the Northern Rivers, and she was nursing at the PA at the time. Mm. And she'd come in to see me in the morning. Said, "Mum and Dad said to say good day." I said, "Mate, listen, I'll give you anything in the world. Doesn't matter what you want. You just tell me. Yeah. Can you cut me down or let me down?" This is just killing me. They were just jacking me up with weights, right. trying to get that spine back into some sort of order so they could go in and operate and put a plate into it. Yeah. Oh, my God. How many operations followed? Uh, Johnny, I had uh, I had two. I had complications after it. I had a, a, a nerve, um, nerve which the neck would just completely freeze. Yeah. and uh, I'd get the shock going right down the shoulders, down to one leg. So there was complications, real complications, and, and that's why when I was passed on to Polgrain, the neurosurgeon. And Dr Glenn Polgrain got you through a very difficult time in your life, and it was Dr Polgrain who lined you up one day and said, Gary, no more race riding. Yeah, I spent uh, I spent 18 months with him. He didn't be, become a doctor. He was a neurosurgeon. He became mm. a friend. And um, he uh, he tried everything, Johnny. He just said, look, mate, at the end of the day, you go back race riding, you fall, you'll break above and below and you won't be here, mate. Mm. I can't do any more for you. Your career is finished. Oh, dear. Pretty stark words. Yeah, but I knew it was always... So I, uh, I felt that was the way it was going to happen and um, I wasn't... Well, I... And I couldn't get a licence, uh, John. Yeah. They'd never licensed me again, so that was the end of the story. Yeah. You have one more distinction that should be acknowledged before we go. You're one of the very few ex-jockeys to attain a chairmanship of a race club. You had 11 years on the committee of the Ballina Jockey Club, three of them as chairman. Did you enjoy that role? 
I did, yeah, it was a great opening. I mean, um, I, I did it for the 11 years. I was vice chairman for a number of years and then went chairman for a number of years. But, John, it got to the stage that I, this job with Sky was getting bigger and bigger, particularly with when Sky World opened up and now Sky Thoroughbred Central. I just couldn't do both jobs. One, I was doing it for the love of racing, which I love racing. Mm. And when I was doing the work for Sky, which I was getting paid for, and I just couldn't do both jobs and do one at the best of my ability. So I had to hand that in, but I'm hoping in years to come, when I'm finished doing this job, I'd love to put something back into the, the racing game. You've crammed a heck of a lot into 61 years, Gary, and as we've detailed, you had more than your share of bad luck, counterbalanced, by some wonderful highs. It's a, an absolute treat to watch you on Sky Thoroughbred Central using a lifetime of experience to help punters find winners on those 15 tracks in the north and the northwest. Great to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Great to talk, Gary. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Good on you, and thanks, John. It's an absolute pleasure with you. I only met you once. I met you at Coffs Arbor some years ago um, mm. there, and you wanted to do something with me. I think it was around cup time, but mm. I've watched you for many years on Sky, interview trainers and jockeys and go through your stories. And a lot of what I do, strangely enough, Johnny, I've taken a board and I follow a lot what you've done. So it's an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you. You've paid me a great compliment, Gary. Thanks so much, mate, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, John. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.